Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Serenity Caldwell, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hey, Stephen. Hey, welcome back. Thank you. I'm glad glad to be here. Glad to have a, a little tiny speaker sitting next to me. Good times. <laughs> it's been a, been a little longer than normal. We had our, our HomePod special last time because you, you got um, early access to it. So yep. we were able to talk through that, which was a lot of fun. It was. And now we actually have HomePods. What is this nonsense? <laughs> we do. Uh, so so now we're back to, to talk about our impressions. And then we have compiled a bunch of HomePod tips because this isn't the most obvious product in some ways. No. It does some things that you've kind of got to dig through. Uh, so we're going to help uh, people out with that. Um, so yeah, so this is my, I picked one up yesterday. Uh, my first time hearing one. I didn't, I didn't. I didn't get to see it at WWDC. Um, and right off the bat, I was surprised. And, and you prepped me for this. I was still surprised how small it is. It's not much taller than my iPhone 10. Yeah. I had a picture on Instagram of it next to a Newton. Somebody commented that wasn't the most useful size scale, <laughs> which I'll grant, I'll grant them that. But not everybody knows how tall a Newton is, uh, Stephen. A Newton is the size of a VHS tape, basically. So shorter than a VHS tape. Again, not super helpful to some people. Really compact, uh, shockingly heavy. Oh, yeah. It feels very uh, dense is the word I keep coming back Mm -hmm. to. Not that you're going to move it around a bunch. But but you might. You might. You may. If you do, you should definitely buy the Apple Care Plus because accidental damage is extremely expensive on this product for what it costs. Um. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been impressed with it. You know, I've, I've spent a couple of days with it now, and we're gonna get into the sound specifically. You've got some really good comments on that, but it definitely blows away any Amazon Echo I have in my house. And I have the Dot, the first gen, and the second <laughs> gen. Um, I compared it on YouTube to the iPod Hi-Fi. Again, I'm not. I'm maybe maybe struggling with my references here, but uh, uh, I compared it to the Hi-Fi because a bunch of people had asked me to do that, and it sounds it sounds. I can honestly say that this thing sounds um, sounds good. And the Siri stuff with the music, you know, asking it to play an artist or an album, or you know, you can ask it to play music that fits a mood or a theme. All that stuff works great. And the HomeKit stuff works really well. So I've got HomeKit stuff all over the place. What's really cool is it just knows about all of that automatically if it's already set up in the Home app. So you don't have to like go into the, your HomeKit settings and add the HomePod to everything. Like it just it just knows about it automatically once it once you set it up, which mm-hmm. is really cool. So all that stuff's great, um, and it's pretty good with the other Siri stuff. Now where it falls down for me is that. It, it can't do everything the Echo can do because Siri is just more limited. Um, and honestly, as silly as this sounds, I think we talked about it last time too, the thing that really sh- we're struggling with is the lack of multiple timers. Oh my so God, yeah. <laughs> we, we cook all the time at home. We have an Echo in the kitchen. And I mean, I feel like nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10 when we cook, we set multiple timers on the echo. So, Hey, you know, remind me in five minutes to check the, the rice that's boiling, you know, on the stovetop or Hey, in 17 minutes, remind me to check the chicken that's in the oven. And, uh, that's really, it's really great. And Siri just can't do it. A lot of people have suggested to me that I use reminders for that. So instead of, Hey, set a timer, Hey, set a reminder, but that's 
clunky and then I'm sort of clogging up reminders with a bunch of stuff I don't want to keep. Like timers <laughs> are just one and done. And so like, yes, that works. No, it's not a good a good solution. A- Apple should support multiple timers. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I was really shocked when I actually heard the answer that it was like, no, no multiple timers, but you can't have multiple riders. And I'm I'm like, yes, but like I can see where somewhere in the internal design lab they said, oh, hey, you know what might be a great idea is instead of these like nonsense timers, let's use it. Let's just use the intentional uh, structure that we have with reminders, because then people can say, remind me to check the cookies in 15 minutes. Won't that be great? Uh, unfortunately, it's a lot harder to dismiss reminders than timers. And yeah, and and my dog has feelings about that, too, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> it. it- it feels like, I mean, everyone I've talked to, everyone I've heard on a podcast talk about it brings this up. So hopefully Apple is hearing that feedback and it seems like something that they would be be able to do. Because I think for me, what this boils down to is the hardware is really, really great. Um, and the software is okay. Yeah. One of those things you can improve after you ship it. It's the second one. So hopefully these complaints that we have and... Even some of the stuff you're going to get into some of the the sound stuff, even that potentially could be tweaked over time with software. I agree. Because this thing is basically an iPhone inside, right? It's got the A8. It's got all this all this processing power, and it has an you know a nameless operating system on it. So, I I expect we will see this thing evolve over time, and Apple add capabilities over time. Like we're going to get into the personal request stuff in a little bit. But one thing that can't do is calendars. So if you ask it, hey, when, yeah. what's the next thing on my calendar? Even if your calendar is in iCloud and on your iPhone, it just can't do it. It just doesn't know. And that's, again, I think something like low-hanging fruit that Apple can go after with a software update and and lump that in. Because they can already do stuff with, with other bits of your personal data. So it feels like it's early days on the software. And, of course, this isn't even talking about AirPlay 2, which is coming later. But um, all in all, you know... 350 bucks is well above, at least for me, well above impulse purchase. Like yeah. If this thing was like 199 it would be an impulse purchase for a lot more people. But if you if you have $350 and you want to spend it on a speaker, this is not a bad one to spend it on if you're in Apple Music and if you are willing to put up or, or, or Siri fits what you need. Um, or you just don't want Amazon or Google in your home, which I understand. So, But you, you spent some time with some Sonos products much more recently than I have. And you've kind of put some thoughts together on how this stacks up against other speakers kind of in this price category. Yeah, I have. Uh, and it's, I, I have mixed feelings, Stephen. I have some, I have some like positive things for HomePod and some positive things for Sonos, uh, which in the long run, because Sonos is going to connect via AirPlay too, I think everybody wins. If you have Sonos products in your house, that's great. Uh, but the, I think the big question for people is like, is HomePod worth uh, either augmenting my existing system or replacing certain things or getting things in lieu of? So, like, versus the Sonos One, I did uh, I did tests versus the Sonos One and tests versus the Play 5 in my kitchen, uh, which is where I normally use a smart speaker, as it's usually sitting on my kitchen counter. Um, and versus the Sonos One, I feel like, uh, especially given the Sonos One's limited Alexa capabilities, it's a bit more of a level playing field. 
the HomePod takes it, no question. Like, uh, Sonos One is a great speaker, and I still love it. Uh, I'm still happy I got one, especially because I'm, you know, bouncing up and down the the coast so often that like the HomePod's going to be my travel, my travel buddy, and the <laughs> the Sonos maybe not so much. The Sonos will stay in the kitchen so Rick can have his multiple timers to cook. Uh, but sound wise, uh, I think the HomePod has not really a competition. Like they're both good speakers, um, but where the Sonos one falls down is that in general, at least in my experience with Sonos products, um, the goal is to make kind of like a a unified sound sphere where everything, uh, it's blended, I think is the the right word for it, where it just, Mm. it all sounds like part of one happy song family um, and the blending is very nice. It's what we've come to expect from mid-range to high, like low-end, high-end, like the low end of the high-end speaker market, where it's just like nice and blended and, and beautiful sound. Um, and the the Sonos One does a fair job at attempting what its bigger brothers do. Uh, and yeah, unfortunately, it's like it doesn't it doesn't quite make it on the the top end on like the highs because that blended sound also results in basically like the the sound feeling not quite muddy like it's it's because it's not that it's bad sound it's just that it's slightly cloudy sound i think is the better Mm. the better term for it so sonos has a tendency to try and blend everything but then it makes it slightly cloudy in the highs and the mids, so it sounds a little bit more muffled. Uh, whereas the HomePod has kind of the opposite uh, tack, where the HomePod goes for, we're going to make your vocals crystal clear. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, it's beautiful. Like from a, when I'm listening to acoustic music or um, when I'm listening to harmon- harmonic music, classical music, all of that stuff sounds phenomenal on the HomePod. Um, where it gets a little bit tricky is in the mids. And this is where, you know, uh, I, I also compared it against a Sonos Play 5 um, because uh, that's the that's the other Sonos in my house. Uh, and it's the Sonos. It's like that's my favorite speaker, hands down. It's just it's an it's a really great, solid speaker. It also happens to be a hundred, what, a hundred bucks more than the HomePod of seventy five dollars more than something something in that range. Um, so it has a little bit more uh, volume. It's a bigger speaker. And it's a little bit more expensive. Um, but the the Sonos Play 5 does the same thing that the Sonos 1 does, where it's trying to do this blended sound. Uh, but with the bigger speakers and everything else, it makes a it, it does a better job of it. You can't quite tell the cloudiness. Like it's it's, it's there a little bit, but it's not um, it's not overly over. It's not overwhelming the way it is when compared directly between like the Sonos 1 and the HomePod. When you compare mm-hmm. the HomePod to the Play 5. The HomePod definitely has the edge on highs and on on vocals, um, but it's not so as prominent a difference as it is between the Sonos One. It's a little bit more more on the same playing field. Uh, But but where the Play 5 kind of takes over is in the mids, where that blended sound, like, I don't know. I know Apple's trying to go for the true the true meaning of the track, right? Their their goal has always been, it's like, we want to portray the music as it was originally recorded. And I really like that concept in theory. Uh, in, in actuality, it runs into a couple of problems, which is namely like the, the HomePod is a lot of technology and a really tiny speaker. Uh, but when it comes to playing 
mid-tones accurately, the way that they're playing with the software and pulling out like bits and pieces to project into various places in the room, when you get into a particularly muddy track, and I was listening to a lot of the Wild Reads, uh, mainly because I wanted to see how the harmonies happened um, in HomePod, but the Wild Reads, uh, for people who don't know, it's a group of three women uh, and, a, and a guitarist who just do this incre- like these incredible uh, rock harmonics. It's just, it's a, they're, they're really like indie rock harmonics. I don't even know how to describe their, their genre, uh, but they have some very beautiful acoustic stuff. And then they have these soundscapes that just sound like thunderstorms where it's just this, cl- like this clash of voices and guitar. Um, and it gets very, again, it can, it gets kind of all interwoven together and it can get very messy. Uh, and the Sonos just kind of handles this in a big ball and it's just kind of like, look at this beautiful thunderstorm. We're putting it on display, but we're not really doing anything with the thunderstorm. We're just letting the thunderstorm be the thunderstorm. Hmm. Uh, and HomePod's like, oh, hey, we have so, you know, we have software. Let's try and pick apart the thunderstorm to try and make it an even bigger thunderstorm so you can hear it all. Um, and right now the software isn't doing a great job at picking out mids in that area like if it's if it's deep bass sound they have got that on lockdown like any if you listen to like rap or whatever they know what to throw into the woofer but when it comes to more of those mid mid tones uh it was getting confused where it was sending like it was sending hi-hats like the like and drums through the tweeters next to the vocals so the drums were very present in these tracks um, but the guitar, because the guitar was kind of a lower, like, dun, dun, da, 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 dun, dun, like, it was going straight to the woofer, which made the track sound very strange. Like, it's not, it wasn't bad. It was just, I'm like, this is not the track that I normally listen to in the car or on my AirPods or on my Play 5. Uh, it just, it sounds almost like a completely in some ways like a completely different mix of the track and and it is in a way it's a software mix of the track um but it's that is a challenge i think apple's gonna have is like they've tested homepod obviously with a bunch of different uh tracks and they've made you know internal software tweaks um but getting into stuff where the mids are cloudy uh, and intentionally cloudy right it's kind of it's it's hard to pick that apart and i i even wonder whether they're going to have to make a call at a certain point and just say, okay, you know what? Maybe not everything needs to be picked apart and played on its own separate track right now because that sounds a little weird. <laughs> That's what's kind of weird about some of these products. And we should say the Play 5 is like 500 bucks, so it's $150 yeah. more than the HomePod. But all so many of these speakers now like have an opinion, right? Like Apple has <laughs> a, a philosophy behind they, how they're going to play Music, you know, Beats. The Beats brand has a different philosophy than the HomePod, even though they're the same company now. Sonos has its own, and and that is something that you now have to take into consideration. Not only does the speaker hook up to the music service you want or the voice assistant that you want, and you're right, Sonos with the the Sonos One is kind of the best of everything because you have the Amazon Assistant, you can do Spotify, you can also do Apple Music on Sonos. Um, even though you can't use the voices to, con- to control Apple Music, uh, but it'll do AirPlay too. Like they have kind of everything, but you have to also consider what kind of music do I listen to, and what does the speaker do to that sort of music? And it's not—I mean, you may have found the extremes, you know, because you're looking for it. I oh, don't yeah. know if most—I don't know if most people 
notice this sort of stuff or if they do, if they can articulate it. Like I work in audio and it's still hard to talk about because it's just It's a bunch of, of nonsense terms. <laughs> it is. Yeah, so I've noticed that the, the HomePod, you know, tracks that I that I know really well sound different. Some of them sound better. Uh, I don't know if I found anything that sounds significantly worse than what I'm used to hearing, like in, in my headphones or through my iMac Pro speakers, where I listen to mo- most of my music at my desk is just through the iMac itself. Um, but it is uh, it is worth considering. And what's cool is these are set up at the Apple Store now. So I went to my store yesterday to pick mine up, and they had a, an employee at each one. And you could ask it to play music and ask it to play podcasts and stuff. Now, it's it's hard to tell in an Apple store kind of what it's doing. But I think that if unless you have something, unless you're really particular about this sort of stuff, um, I think the HomePod sounds better than anything else most people have in their houses. So for most people, it's a step up from wherever they are now. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, I, you're really only going to tell these differences if you're listening head to head against another right. speaker, right? And uh, I mean, that's a it's a question you're going to want to ask too. It's like, if you want a smart speaker, which smart speaker you should buy? Um, if you're going to use Apple Music or AirPlay 2 or you're, we want it to hook up with your Apple TV, the HomePod's a, like, there's no question. I would say absolutely yes. Totally. Um, if, you're, if you want Spotify or if you want kind of the Amazon ecosystem, the Sonos One is also a really good speaker. And I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, the HomePod puts the Sonos One in the dust, because it doesn't. Sonos is still a great product. Uh, I think it just depends on, like you said, your your preferences. Uh, but sonically, I think they're similar enough that people who really care about audio, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I would still get the HomePod over two Sonos One speakers, like if we were comparing mm-hmm. it directly price-wise. Yeah. Um, but that's more, that's more what I like from the HomePod, which is the really crystal clear harmonies and the fact that it integrates with HomeKit and it's more secure. I think I would slightly, slightly give it the edge, but there's nothing wrong with getting Sonos Ones. In fact, I, I encourage it if it if it fits your your uh, life and sphere. Uh, it's definitely better than the Google Home. <laughs> <laughs> I have I yeah. have feelings about the Google Home Max, uh, which apparently anger a lot of people. So I'm sorry if my personal opinions upset you. Uh, I I think that the Google Home is like the especially the Max is like the cloudiest of cloudy speakers like it's loud it's very loud and i'm i'm impressed that it gets that much volume out of that size of a speaker but man is it just you know sonos muddy like clouds the sound to make it more of a like a roomscape uh the max clouds the sound and it sounds just like you're you're going into like one of those rainstorms where you can't see a foot in front of you. <laughs> so, uh, sorry guys. Uh, if Brutal. you have, yeah, if you have the Google <laughs> home max, uh, like, uh, if you like it, that's fine. That's fine. I'm not, you know, <laughs> don't email us. Yeah. So we're going to get into some home pod tips, but first I want to tell everybody about our sponsor this week. This episode of query is brought to you by pingdom. If you're, well, if you're driving, don't do this, but if you're not driving, just close your eyes for a second and imagine if your website was down right now. If visitors couldn't access your content or couldn't click that all-important Buy Now button, how would you know? Well, the truth is you wouldn't know until it was too late. They would not read your article. They would not click that Buy Now button. Maybe if you were lucky, they would send you a tweet or email, but probably they would just move on and forget about you. And that's why you need Pingdom. They give you the peace of mind you need. 
Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. You can get an email, you can get a text message, you can get an alert from their iOS app. Uh, if you're like me, you have all three of those set up. So if FM goes down, I know instantly. Pingdom is dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website will be a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every one minute. Start monitoring your site today. All Pingdom needs is the URL, and they take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code QUERY at checkout to get a massive 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. So like I'm I'm most familiar with the the Amazon Echo and when you have an Echo you have the uh, the Amazon Echo app on your iPhone or your Android phone and it is sort of the interface for the device that where voice stuff doesn't get the job done. Mm-hmm. So if you want to add a new smart home uh, device to your Amazon Echo so it knows about it. Or if you want to set up groups of smart devices. So I have a group that basically turns everything in my office on and off. So everything in my office is a smart light except the overhead lights. And so I can tell it to turn both lamps off. Uh, I've got shelving in here that has lighting. I can turn all that off with one command. I have to go into the Amazon Echo app and set all that up. One thing I really like about the Amazon Echo app, too, just as an aside, it shows you a history of your voice queries. Yeah. If it misunderstood you, or sometimes you'll ask it a question that it can't dictate the answer to, but it'll say, hey, go into the app, and there's more information. Sometimes it's a link or something. It's pretty nice. Uh, The app's not super well designed, but it gets the job done. With the HomePod, you have the Home app, which is where all the HomeKit stuff lives, but the HomePod has sort of been shoehorned into that a little bit. And and one thing um, one thing I, I like is that it won't uh, – that I don't need a separate HomePod app. Like the last thing I want is a uh, – Yeah, is another, another app. Apple app. <laughs> um, so it's in the Home app. And so you open it up and you have to, you know, touch into it and go to details and there's a bunch of settings. So in there is a, is a whole world of things to do. But one thing you won't find in there is like a retuning. So if you move the HomePod, so you know you were saying you may take it with you back and forth as you travel. For me, mine is in my office right now, but later today I'm going to go put it in the kitchen. I don't have to reset it up. It, it senses that movement and it sort of retunes everything automatically. So that's something you don't have to go into the Home app for. You don't have to tell it, hey, uh, I moved you, which is, which is pretty nice. Uh, and another nice thing about about the HomePod is that um, it doesn't add to your Apple Music limit. So you have a set number of devices that you can tie to Apple Music. Do you know what that number is? I don't off the top uh, of my head. I, for, the fa- for Family Plan, I believe it's five. I'd have to look. That sounds, that sounds yeah. right. Um, but this doesn't add to that, which is nice. But you are in the Home app for a lot of stuff. So one thing when I was working on my video... Um, I was trying to find a way to mute the microphone. So on the Echo, there's like a mute button. On the Google Home, there's a switch. You enable it, and it basically says it's not listening anymore. And there's visual feedback that it's not listening. So the the Echo, the lights turn red. And I could not work out a way to do this 
on the HomePod. There's no buttons on it. It's <laughs> it's just a, a an, an object. And so in the HomePod starter guide, uh, there is um, directions for this. And basically, you say, "Hey, stop listening," and it confirms the request. And when it's in that mode, you have a couple of options. If you want to talk to it, you have to go and tap the top of the HomePod, um, and then it will listen. And then when you're done with that interaction, it goes back to not listening. So you can, you kind of uh, break through that wall a little bit, which is actually nice because the Echo, it's on or off. So the HomePod kind of has this middle ground. Yeah. But to turn it back on, you can't touch it and then say, start listening again. You've got to go into the Home app, find the HomePod, go to settings, and find the toggle to re-enable Hey Dingus. And so that's that's a little clunkier than the Echo or the Home. I really like that it has that middle phase but I would like to be able to re-enable the microphones by speaking to it if I go over and tap the top of it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Um, and we should notice note that the um, the middle ground aspect when you say "ahoy telephone" or "hey dingus" or whatever your you know choice phrase is, um, that is all pr- transmitted locally on the device. So none of that goes up into the cloud, um, which is why like. When when you were able to like tap on it, it's not a it's not a big deal. Like you're not you're not ruining your privacy or anything like that. Apple's always good about that. Yeah, one thing I do want to talk about. So this is something I was troubleshooting uh, someone on Twitter uh, last night, and I discovered this. And this is one like this is a tip that's also a complaint, a tip plaint, a com tip. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which is that uh, because HomePod is connected to the Home app, because it's also a Home Hub, what I discovered is that if you want personal requests, your account also has to be the home owner. So if you, so let's say, Stephen, that you decide that you want multiple HomePods, you're like, you go HomePod crazy, and you're like, well, I'm the owner of my home, my my home kit home, so I'm going to keep mine in my office. And then you're like, I'm going to buy a HomePod for my wife. And then your wife goes and sets it, tries to set it up with her personal information, say in her office or in the bedroom or whatever. Uh, and then it's like, I'm sorry, I can't set this up for you. Hmm. Uh, you have to, if you want personal requests, you have to be the home kit owner, which is uh, annoying. Uh, I kind of understand how, like how slash why that happened. Um, but there is a, like, Apple offers a way to give people, you know, co-ownership guest access to HomeKit homes. So the fact that, like, that, putting that flag on your Apple ID doesn't also let you set up a, a HomePod is kind of annoying. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it kind of falls down when it comes to, like, a house with more than one person in it. <laughs> yeah. So you have the personal requests. So when you're setting it up, it is a, just a screen. It basically gives Siri access to a bunch of stuff on your phone if your phone is present. So that's that's a big caveat here that if um, if I leave my phone's not on the network, it can't do this stuff because it's talking to your device. It's not talking to the cloud directly. Um, this includes sending and receiving messages. So you can say, hey – read me my last message from Serenity or read me my unread messages or, hey, send Serenity a message. Uh, Again, your phone's got to be present. You can do reminders, so adding reminders, checking reminders off. It can read reminders from a list. And the same thing with notes, create a new note or append to a note. It doesn't have any awareness of who's actually talking to it. So if I have this set up 
and I'm home, but there's a guy, I think I said in my video, a guy like fixing your washing machine. He can just walk up to it and send an iMessage as me, or he can check something off my reminders list or add something to a note because there's no authentication needed. And if you're in a house with more than one person with more than one Apple ID, it doesn't know that if I ask it a question to go to my, you know, my messages, or if my wife asks to send a message to send us her, that's just not, not a thing. And so the personal request stuff, I think is something you really need to think about when you're setting it up, thinking about where the HomePod is, who has access to it when you're home, but you're not necessarily around. And, you know, for some people, it, it won't be a problem. For some people, it may be a big problem, but they give you the option, which is nice. But I would really like to see in the future, my wife and I be able to set these up. Either we have our own, quote unquote, or it just knows that if it's Stephen talking or if it's Mary talking, to do the right thing. And um, that's not on day one. And to be fair, no one's really doing that. Google Home has multiple voice support, but it's pretty basic. Um, but it would be, this would be a, a way for Apple to really set themselves apart in the future to make this a, a true, like, family shared space device. And right now, it still feels kind of like the Apple Watch. And since it's a very personal device, if you want it to do this stuff, now you can leave all this off and still listen to music and be fine. It's kind of that extra layer of features that you just need to consider. Yeah, I think that's, that's really key. Um, and the thing is, of course, you can turn off personal requests. Like, personal qu- requests aren't the end-all be-all, right? Uh, the HomePod, you know, it's it's kind of an extra bit of fluff, but you can you can set up a HomePod, and then you can have different Apple Music accounts on it, uh, which I, at least that's nice. At least it's easy to change out your Apple Music account. You just have to go into the Home app and, you know, enter in a new username and password. Like, so that's, but, but when it comes to the other stuff, Stephen, you're absolutely right. It's just, it's super frustrating. Um, on personal requests, let's see, do we have any other good tips on personal requests? Uh, you can, well, in terms of settings wise, you can change the name of your HomePod, uh, which is fun. Uh, although it does tie it to your room. Uh, so it's, uh, for instance, mine is, uh, kitchen kitchen r2d2 <laughs> uh so uh that that's led to uh my fellow imore editors i think uh Lori gill who's the assistant managing editor at at imore decided to rename her liver her living room the outer rim so now she Good. has the outer rim death star uh which is it's just you know it's a, it's a nice little extra thing um, but it's not it's not too hard to rename your HomePod. You just bring it up in the Home app uh, and you press on details. And then where it says HomePod, if you just tap on it, you can rename it and press save. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, another thing that I saw some questions on, and this is interesting, right? Because Apple uh, has intentionally built the HomePod so that the A8 does all of the work. Uh, so there is no EQ there's no like there's no way for you to manually mess around at least not yet with how the homepod separates sound that said there's kind of a sneaky workaround um which again doesn't really change on doesn't change how the a8 interprets the sound um but you can kind of tweak the way it sounds a little bit if you're air playing from like a third party player like spotify has a built-in eq for example Um, so if you're playing music through the spotify app you can kind of use their eq settings and and tweak a little bit 
And I played around with this a little bit uh, before before we got on the podcast, and it's again, it's not it's not going to make a huge difference. But if you're like, oh, you know, the bass is weird, or oh, the treble's too high, or something like that, you can do a little bit of a little bit of tweaking if you're airplaying and not requesting directly. Hey Siri, which is kind of kind of fun. Yeah. Um, also on the music related angle uh you don't have to have if you do have a multi-user household you don't have to have say your five-year-old song requests to siri interfering with your own apple music listening tastes Mm -hmm. um there's a i turned that off immediately (laughs) (laughs) i figured you would uh because it turns out that uh, if you put a smart speaker into a home with children all the children want to do is request things uh, so yeah, there's a there's a switch in the settings under under the home app that allows you to just turn off uh, all all listening history for HomePod. So if you request things on HomePod, it does not interfere with your personal for you settings, which is yeah always good. Yeah, that's nice. You can actually turn that off per device. You could have that off on an iPhone or an iPad or even iTunes on the Mac too. Mm-hmm. So um, that's uh, that's actually a pretty nice. Features. If you do have kind of sort of a shared device, someone doesn't come in and wreck your recommendations. It's like Netflix. Netflix, now you can have multiple users on an account. Before they did that, ours was just like, had no idea what to do. <laughs> an amalgamation of nonsense. Thomas the Tank Engine, but I was also watching Breaking Bad. It's like, I don't know what to do with this family. <laughs> what is going on? Yeah, so I think that I think that's a bunch of good tips. I mean, really, if you, if you set one up, just walk through the home app. There's a bunch of stuff you can do in there. And it is sort of the... If you, even if you're not using HomeKit, this is really where the HomePod lives on your phone. So um, for me, I already have a bunch of HomeKit stuff, so I'm kind of already in the app a bunch. But uh, this is kind of where you where you need to go to manage the HomePod from a software perspective. Well, I think I'm HomePodded out. I think it's time to move on. I think, you know, the only, the only time left to listen to HomePod stuff is just listening to the HomePod itself. So instead, let's go to the speed round. Uh, so, Stephen, I have a question for you. Elizabeth asks, "What is Google AMP, and why do people have uh, a?" Pro-? She says, "Why do people have a problem with it?" I'm going to substitute with that with, "Why do some people freaking hate it so much?" Yeah, uh, the original question named a uh, tech journalist specifically. I edited it slightly. So, AMP is a web technology backed by Google and some others, and the idea is it takes even a responsive website, so a website that looks correctly on mobile, but it sort of reformats it to load faster with less data. And the idea is if you have limited cell data or limited connectivity, so maybe you're someplace in the world that data is very expensive or hard to come by or you have very weak signal, you can load these pages more efficiently. Uh, That I don't think many people have a problem with. It can do some funny stuff with ads, but um, I think if you have well-behaved ads, they're, they're more or less okay. The big problem a lot of publishers had is that in the original implementation, it masked the URL of the original website. So say that, say that uh, um, you know, my website, it doesn't use AMP, but say 512pixels did. If you clicked on an AMP link, and they were sort of promoted in Google search, which is another problem some people had with them. But if you went to an AMP link, it would be, you know, google.com slash AMP slash whatever. And it masked that the URL was actually a 512pixels URL. And it redirected, but publishers didn't like that. They have since changed that, and they've made it easier if you're on an AMP page to copy the original URL 
as opposed to copying the AMP URL. But that sort of like fiddling with links and URLs really left some publishers unhappy, which is totally fair. Um, and I think that publishers also didn't like sort of the lack of control they had over it. You know, if you if you manage or run your own website you tend to want to control every aspect about it or at least as much as possible. And this undid a bunch of that. And mobile is really important. Most websites, mobile traffic is, is, you know, easily uh, a large percentage, if not the more visitors than on desktop at this point, like in on 512 pixels, mobile is actually biggest and then tablet and then desktop. It's really shifted over the years. So it's important to be fast and responsive on mobile, but amp just kind of, made some decisions that publishers weren't happy with. Yeah, obscuring URLs is not great. I remember when I when I was uh I do troubleshooting on Twitter and I try and pull article links from iMore and then I'd end, I'd paste it into like the tweet that I was sending to somebody. It's like Google www blah 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 iMore. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah, that's that's not great. So uh, I Mm-mm. appreciate that they fixed that. And like you said, Stephen, I think it is it is potentially a really good thing for people in, you know, in uh, environments where 4G LTE doesn't really exist yet. Totally. And it's something to think about if you've got a website, making it as light as possible on mobile is, I think it's just good, being good to your readers. All right, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Shane writes, is there a way when applying tags in the iOS Files app to search your existing tags on the system? Currently, I can only scroll through a list of unalphabetized tags currently available, uh, or I can enter a new one. So I'm going to put a screenshot of this in the show notes because this is a little confusing to talk about. But um, can you kind of explain what this system is a little bit? Yeah. So um, Shane is talking about the Files app in iOS, uh, which was added in uh, pretty recently. And uh, the Files app, you know, it's very nice in that you connects uh, multiple locations like your Dropbox and iCloud Drive and third-party apps. Uh, And then it does have a couple things like a favorites section and a tag section. Um, And that's kind of, that's keying off of uh, macOS, of course, which also has had tags since I want to say Yosemite, maybe even earlier than that. Um, And tags allow you to assign a nice little color to a, a file or a folder. Uh, as well as a specific name, and it's a way to organize your uh, your information in kind of a, a subsequent way. So, say you know, say that you're you have a folder of things called. I'll I'll use an example. I took a bunch of videos at the Roller Derby World Cup, um, and so I have one giant folder that's just World Cup videos in iCloud Drive. Um, however, I want to. I want to uh, divide that by the individual teams, um, but making folders isn't really going to work because some teams play each other and then some teams play different teams. So I can't, rather than duplicate the file and be like Australia, roller der- or if I have a, a file or a folder for Australia uh, and also a folder for Canada, the Australia versus Canada game could only theoretically be in one of those folders. Whereas tags would let me tag both of those games as Australia games, and then I can look in my tags folder and say, oh, great, Here's, here are the two uh, Australia games that Australia played. Uh, so it's, it can be useful if you're trying to deal with multiple sources of information or uh, files that you'd otherwise have to duplicate to organize properly. Um, 
However, the the question that you're asking, Shane, unfortunately, I I don't have a good answer for it. Uh, You cannot, at least from what I've been able to discover, and listeners, if you do find a way to do this, please let us know, uh, because it kind of racked our brains a bit. Um, But it does not look that you, like you can use the search function to find tags, um, either by color or by name, which is a little bit annoying, honestly. It's like if you have the tags system, then why, why, why can't you search it? You can search it in Mac OS. Why, why Apple? Why? Uh, yeah, I, I, I really don't have a good answer for you, and I'm, I'm sorry about that because otherwise, I, I feel like tags is potentially really useful for organizing your information. Oh, yeah. It's just really basic right now. A lot of the files app in iOS, I mean, they're starting... They didn't just port Finder, right? They're sort of starting over, and that means some things are, are really basic. But um, I think that is what it is at this point. Yeah. Oh, well. Sorry, Shane. Uh, moving on. Alan writes, A bunch of the USB-C hubs and such provide power to my devices and laptop via an incoming USB-C charger. Any idea which USB-C hubs work well with a, an iMac or an iMac Pro? I'm kind of concerned about hard drives drawing enough power from the iMac itself. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things here. Uh, one, if a hard drive can't draw enough power from a standard USB port, then it will come with its own power supply. And um, most hubs, most USB-C hubs, um, can deliver pretty decent amounts of power. Sometimes you'll, you'll plug something in and it will say, you know, you, uh, there's not enough power. You need to plug directly into the computer. I haven't run into, the, into that much. Um, I would say with USB-C stuff, it's still early days. Um, I would probably stick with a name brand like OWC Mac Sales, Belkin. I've got a Satachi that's um, hooked up to my iMac Pro I reviewed recently that I like. It gives me some USB ports along the front of the computer. But I I don't think it's a any bigger concern with USB C than it was with um, with like regular USB, and anything works with USB C like Mac Notebook, like the MacBook Pro will work with the USB C iMac or iMac Pro. So like th- there's there's not a lot of new complexity here over the old USB style, but um, for the most part, like I've used hubs for a long time. Two and a half inch hard drives or even like portable SSDs don't need external power. They're fine. And if you use a three and a half inch drive, those usually come with their own power brick, right? So if you have like a big, like, um, you know, Western digital hard drive on your desk for time machine or something, it'll have its own plug to the wall and just use USB for data. Um, but uh, the nice thing is, too, if the hub can't power it, then you can plug, if you're on an iMac, you'll have other ports and you can plug directly into the iMac itself. That's a little bit trickier on the one port MacBook because you only you don't have another port, you just have the one. Um, but uh, I haven't really run into a problem where I've plugged something into a hub or to a USB port and gotten that power warning in a long time. I feel like that's pretty well under control these days. Yeah, I, and I think what you said earlier is pretty key in that uh, if you buy a hub from a reputable seller, you're also not going to run into power issues. Yeah, yeah, totally. So um, I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes to this review I did. If, you're, if you want for an iMac or an iMac Pro, I've been happy with this one. It puts an SD and micro SD card slot, three USB-A, uh, 3.0, ports and then a USB-C and it just tucks under the front edge of the iMac 
Um, I did bring it in where their documentation has it is at the edge of the iMac and it blocks the speaker. So I sort of brought it closer to the center and I've been really happy with it. Mainly because I do a lot of with SD cards and reaching around the back of the iMac is a pain and like I perpetually miss and uh, micro SD as well. You have to have a converter and this has one built in. So I've been happy with it. So if you have an iMac, I would recommend that one. I've been, I've been pleasantly surprised. Good to know. Oh, I think that does it for this week. If you want to find show notes, all the stuff we've talked about there over on our website, relay.fm slash query slash 24. You can get in touch with us there or to submit uh, questions for us to answer. You can use the hashtag askquery on Twitter. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on imore.com uh, and she tweets as Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH and I write 512pixels.net. Uh, if you enjoyed this show, if you like tech nerdy podcasts, there's a bunch of other stuff at Relay FM you should check out. Um, uh, lots of lots of good uh, Apple centric and other stuff too. So we've got a show like Download that covers the tech industry on the whole. A lot of stuff I think you'll enjoy if you like Query. Uh, thanks to Pingdom for supporting uh, this show and sponsoring the episode. Until next time, Serenity, say goodbye. Goodbye. Adios. <laughs>